Look, God, we shout together with the psalmist. See how there is too much blood in the streets. Too much blood and not enough justice. Wake up, church, we exhort one another. We have studied war to make a name for ourselves instead of studying peace to praise the name of God. Greetings, and thank you for tuning in to this edition of the Redheaded Preacher podcast. My name is Richard Lanford. I am the Redheaded Preacher of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, an open and affirming congregation in the United Church of Christ. I hope this uh, finds you well as you tune in and prepare to listen. The We are in the season of Advent as this is being preached in fact, uh, this message was preached for Sunday, December 6th, 2020, the second Sunday of Advent. The scriptures are Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 11, 2 Peter 5, or 2 Peter 3, verses 8 through 15a, and the gospel according to Mark, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Our lector is Barb Todd. The message is entitled, The Beginning of the Good News. And so, I hope you find this uh, this homily helpful and also something that makes you think a little bit. That's my prayer and my hope. And let's listen on. Our Old Testament reading on this second Sunday of Advent is a familiar one to many of us. It is Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 11. As scholars name the sections of this long book of Isaiah, chapters 40 through 55 have been called Second Isaiah and the Book of the Consolation of Israel. This reading begins it. Israel has been in exile in Babylon. The prophet is called to announce God's coming. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all people shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice cries, Cry out! And I said, Well, what shall I cry? All people are grass. Their constancy is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. 
the grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings, lift it up. Do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. This stands the reading from Isaiah. Our second reading is from 2 Peter, chapter 3, verses 8 through the first part of verse 15. This is part of the writer's discussion about the day of the Lord, a day of judgment and deliverance when Christ returns. But do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will be dissolved with fire, and the earth and everything that is done on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved this way, what sort of persons ought you to be in leading lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set ablaze and dissolved and the elements will melt with fire? But in accordance with his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness is at home. Therefore, beloved, while you are waiting for these things, strive to be found by him at peace, without spot or blemish, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. This ends the reading of the Epistle lesson. Our Gospel reading is Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Most scholars believe that Mark was the first gospel to be written, so here are the first verses of the first gospel. Unlike the other three gospels, Mark starts his off with prophecy and its fulfillment in the adult John the Baptist. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, Son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. 
He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Here ends the reading from the Gospel and our scriptures for this morning's service. Thanks be to God for this, the word of the God of life, for the life of the people of God. Did you ever get a card or a text, a call or email that just hit the spot? Even if you did not know you had a spot? I'm about to share with you something that pretty much hit the spot for me. It's the United Church of Christ's daily devotional for November 30th. It's written by Rachel Heckenberg. She serves on the national staff of the UCC, is an author and blogger. What she wrote is called Rock Bottom. She begins by quoting Psalm 79's first two verses, which is in the lectionary readings for another lectionary year cycle. O oh God, the nations have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the air for food. Then she writes, The bleakness of early Advent, these first few days when the lectionary readings are all doom and gloom, is kind of my favorite part of the season. The, the psalmist moans, The city is ruined! The holy places are wrecked. The prophet warns in Joel, the sun bleeds red, the moon hides its light. That's the good stuff. It's not that I love a grim worldview. It's not that I enjoy the torment of chaos. It's that I'm relieved when we name them aloud in church in that beloved community where we sometimes have the habit of proclaiming good news so loudly that pain and despair are shamed into silence. But oh, the alleviation and comfort that come when the church intentionally tunes its heart to the groaning, the anger, the fear, the devastation, rack our daily lives. Look, God, we shout together with the psalmist, see how there is too much blood in the streets, too much blood and not enough justice. Wake up, church, we exhort one another. We have studied war to make a name for ourselves instead of studying peace to praise the name of God. Do not ignore the pain, we pray, of homes leveled and walls built, of creation poisoned and compassion mocked, of bodies extorted and healing withheld for ransom. She continues, nearing the end. The start of Advent lays bare the world's pain, without which there would be no reason for God's coming. No reason for the angels singing. 
No reason for prophets preaching. No reason for magi seeking. No reason for hoping and imagining and living toward a new world. Do you remember, if you were joining in a few months ago, where a lot of the action in the readings took place? Yes? Yes, the desert, the wilderness, where you have little in the way of resources, lots of hot sun and sand, no clear direction or compass, and to hold on to faith in God, miracles had to keep happening for the people. Being in the desert is a tough place for you and me in our wildernesses of life, let alone for the Hebrews. It's not just individual either. It was not for the Hebrews, certainly. We are in some wildernesses as a country and as people who live on planet Earth. What Rachel Hackenberg writes of also seems like a desert, an unpleasant, stressful place which can find us boldly naming our need, dropping facades, and rediscovering our desperate thirst for God, and that is a good thing, a liberating thing. Well, we find the wilderness in Isaiah and Mark this morning, and both become places where something good is promised even in the desert of agony or exile or destruction. In Mark especially, we find something in calling out the things that cause us pain, the systems or situations which perpetuate hunger, violence, income inequality, or spiritual emptiness. Enter John the Baptizer. He is brought to us as prophecy fulfillment. Elijah, as Jesus said, if you will receive him or if you will perceive it. He is a voice crying in the wilderness. So you, I, St. Peter's and the world are not alone in our noise and quiet of the desert. The gospel starts with the words, as we heard Barb read, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the good news or gospel is when John the Baptist arrives in deserts and begins preaching. That's the beginning of the good news. And what does he preach? Well, I cannot cover all his points or all the aspects of his points here, but you and I, we know this. John the baptizer appeared proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. A baptism of repentance. A baptism of turning around, of turning to, of returning to the Lord our God. A baptism of turning away from the things, the histories and circumstances that break our hearts and that break people's minds, bodies, liberties and spirits. A baptism where we, as Rachel celebrates happening in Advent, name the pain, the despair, 
the sin, division, and inequality in which we wander as individuals and as a society. As she put it, look, God, see how there is too much blood in the streets and not enough justice. We are not studying peace to praise your name. John the Baptist and Rachel both say we need to face the bad news and name it before good news really means anything. We need to face ourselves For sometimes you or I or the Christian church are complicit in some of the evil that floats elusively yet harshly around us. Our land and our world. The events and preaching of last summer. The teaching that went on when folks were listening with open minds presented, among other things, the benefits of whiteness. The benefits white folks have in dealing with police, in going into stores, in being able to forget in this society our skin color, in our grandparents having had the advantage of people over people of color in mortgage applications, job interviews, job performance reviews, car loan interest rates, and acquiring generational wealth through mortgages to pass on to their kids. Well, a lot of us have only begun to be truly aware of that. We name it not as a sin, which white folks choose to do, but as a widespread situation of unfairness, yea, even injustice as it is played out, needing to be addressed and turned around to be just. For you and me who are white, just to be able to see these benefits, acknowledge them, and thereby learn more about what it's like being a person of color in the United States, affirmative action or not, is a big step for a lot of people. There's a lot to learn about it. I'm still learning too. Probably will be as long as I live. Although the benefits of whiteness, perhaps unhelpfully sometimes called white privilege, is not a sin whites today have consciously committed, it is a situation like what Rachel evoked, calling out for acknowledgement and then next steps forward as we make our way through the desert, led by good news of what is fair, loving, and Christ-like. Then we can hope and imagine a new world. He came, John did, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Sins have to be named. We have to come clean if we are really turning around to meet Jesus when he comes. With no calling out the crud that's going on within us, around us, and around our country and the world, there is no accountability. No perceiving our need for deliverance and change, even salvation. Maybe especially salvation. It's not just racism or war. It's harassment and assault against women and children. It's gender violence. It's arrogance and greed and pride. 
It's not only believing unscientific lies, but it's promoting them as if they were truth in the media and in maskless crowds. Yes, Advent is a season where we get to see that we need the good news so when it comes, we'll really get it. Not just get it, as in understand it, yeah, I got it, but really get it, really receive and embrace the good news from Jesus, the Son of God. If you and I do nothing with our negative stuff, personally, and if society does nothing with its its bad stuff, societally, then we, or it, is not preparing for the Lord. And we, or it, will have turned our back on him as he's approaching. We do not then think we need redemption. It goes back to the garden. I got this God, no thanks, I'm going to do this. The Gospel of Mark starts the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The good news of Jesus started with John and the baptism for the repentance of sins, for the forgiveness of sins, baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, knowing our need, confessing our falling short, naming it. And getting ready to face the Christ when he does arrive is part of the good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ came and the Son of God will come again some way, somehow, sometime in God's own timing and in God's own way, both in our own personal encounters of the Spirit and, as the scripture foretells, at a day of the Lord. Good news of Jesus, which includes forgiveness of sins, and it includes the baptism of the Holy Spirit that eventually leads you and me and St. Peter's and faithful, loving followers all over the globe and over the centuries to bring healing, to bring reconciliation, holiness, justice. Forgiveness, the deeds of love, hope, peace, and joy. The rest of the year, like other passages in the Bible, are about those things and those tasks. Advent is preparation. The good news is that Christ came and is coming. He is coming, John said, to baptize with the Holy Spirit. And with fire. Or, as Rachel Hackenberg ended her Advent devotional, thank God for these dire days of Advent when we observe the world's depravity so that in our confession of pain and horror, a whisper of assurance might be known. A single candle lit to keep us company through the long night. A single candle, a little fire, a symbol for Christ, the light of the world. Amen.
God bless you for tuning in to this edition of the Red-Headed Preacher Podcast. I can't tell you what the scriptures are for next week. I can only tell you that it's going to be the third Sunday of Advent. The gospel will be featuring the gospel according to Mark be this year because we have entered a new lectionary cycle year. So we're in year B, which features Mark. God bless you for tuning in. If you enjoyed what you heard, uh, please tell others. And uh, may God bless your week in these difficult times. Remember, Emmanuel, God is with us. And that's grace. Bye.